The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au The love of a father. It's an amazing thing, is it not? No matter what kind of relationship that you may have had with your father in years gone by, all of us this morning, some of you may not even have known your father well. All of us can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father that is so rich and so deep and so sweet. We have an amazing Savior who has brought us into that relationship. Take your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse number 4. A couple of weeks ago, Heather said to me, why don't you just space out a little bit, and then we can wind up with uh, this passage right on Father's Day. And so this is a Father's Day sermon, and it's not a Father's Day sermon because it's right in the book of Ephesians, and it works out really well, and so we're glad of that. So let's read, and I'm going to read for context verse chapter 5 and verse 1 all the way down to verse 4 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. And I'm reading from a New American Standard, and the Bible says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, who has an, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with these empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For formal darkness, but now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything comes visible is light. For this reason says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject, sorry, ought to be to their husbands in everything. 
25. Husbands, live, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents, the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring up a discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we trust that God will add blessing to the reading of his word. I gave you last week an extended logic chain of Paul as he works his way through. And what we made point of last week is the main command that drives everything below it, right down to verse 4, is actually found in chapter 5 and verse 1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And then Paul tells us how we are to imitate God as beloved children. He says to live in love in verse 2. He says to live as children of light in verse 7. And he says to live as wise men in verse 15, using the term walk and live as interchangeable. And then Paul tells us how we are to walk and live as wise men. He says we are to make the most of our time in verse 16. He says we are to understand what the will of the Lord is in verse 17. And he says we are to be filled with the Spirit in verse 18. And then he tells us what that looks like. What does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He talks about being uh, speaking and singing and giving thanks. And he also speaks about being subject one to another. That's what it looks like for the body of Christ to be filled with the Spirit. Now that specific command that Paul makes to ones after this, to wives and husbands and children, slaves and masters, they're all driven by the logic that comes before them. The root of Paul's specific commands is imitate God as beloved children. And you can unpack each specific command to each group of people back into all those other commands. Okay, I'll show you how. So we'll take fathers as the example. Last week we used uh, husbands and children and so on. This one we're going to use fathers. So if you look at verse 4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger and so on. But what he's really doing is he's telling us how it is that we imitate God as beloved children. So you can pack that back all the way from 1 down to verse 4. Like this. Fathers, imitate God as beloved children. And when we live and love as godly fathers, we are imitating God, our heavenly Father. When we are, uh, imitate, sorry, when we love our children, as godly fathers, we are walking and living in love as Christ has loved us. When we love our children as godly fathers, we're striving to prevent ungodliness in our children. We're striving to prevent our children from being partakers in sons of disobedience. We're striving, verse 8, to see that our children live as sons and daughters of light, light in the Lord. 
In verse 10 of chapter 5, we're striving to what is pleasing to God and striving as fathers so that they, our children, may also learn what is pleasing to God. Okay? We're doing, in case you're missing this, in case I've lost you, I don't want to lose you, is we're taking the sick commands of husbands, wives, children, fathers, slaves, and masters, and we're seeing how each command fulfills all those other commands from 5 verse 1 down to the end of 6 and verse 9. Okay, so from verse 10, when we as fathers love and raise our children from God, for God, we're striving to do what is pleasing to God. When we live as godly fathers, we're walking as wise men and we're not walking as fools. We're striving to ensure that our children also walk as wise people, live as wise people. When we, fathers, this is the important part, when we love and raise our children for the Lord, we are showing them that we are filled with the Spirit of God because that's the only way that we can imitate God as our Heavenly Father. Paul is commanding us as fathers to imitate God, our Heavenly Father, by raising our children in love, raising them well. Now you say the text doesn't say specifically in love, but that's certainly the way in which God relates to us. That's certainly the way that we are to relate to our children. Showing our children love, we do it by not provoking them to anger, and we do it by the discipline and instruction of the Lord, bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the overall thing, like I said last week, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 all tell about how we become new creatures in Christ. And then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 all unpack and explain for us how it is we are to live as new creatures in Christ. And being new creatures in Christ, our lifestyle... The way we live, the way we love our wives, the way wives relate to their husbands, the way the children obey their parents in the Lord, it's all here. It's all displaying that we are new creatures in Christ. And if we live just like the world, we think like the world. If we act like the world, we're showing that we're not new creatures in Christ. And what Paul is saying is, listen, you have been made new creatures in Christ. Live as those new creatures. Live imitating God, your heavenly Father, as beloved children. So this week, we want to look at how fathers imitate God, their Heavenly Father, in the way that they raise their kids. I heard a story this week about this uh, program into a prison system. And they got all the prisoners together, and they said, we're going to get you guys to write cards to your mothers for Mother's Day. And all the prisoners were so excited, they got together, and they came with great uh, enthusiasm. They all wrote cards, you know, Big Bubba writing a card with a pencil to Dear Mom, and he wrote it, and he signed it, and they sent it off. And they thought, what a great success. They said, well, Father's Day is coming up. You know what we'll do? We'll get the prisoners together again, and we'll get them all to write cards to their Father's Day. And almost nobody showed up. And the people running the program just sat there in the prison. They were just stunned. All these prisoners who are so quick and so willing to write Father's Mother's Day cards for their mothers, none of them had much interest in writing a Father's Day card to their father. No, there's not a funny punchline. I'm sorry. It's actually a very, very tragic, and it's a brutal reminder of where our society is. The tragic reality is our society is growing up and fathers are not in the homes. Fathers are not relating to their children. Fathers are not connected to their kids the way that God designed and intended us to be. 
And the reality is we are raising a generation of young people, my generation and certainly the one before and definitely the one coming after me, in which fathers have less and less and less to do with their children in a home. And it's having a terrible result on society, a terrible impact. We are to love, fathers, we are to love and raise our children well for God. I am greatly blessed to have three boys. You know, for years, I, I've been preaching for almost 25 years now. And when I began to preach, as a young man, I had uh, a few little kids. I think I only had... No, when I began preaching, we, weren't, we didn't even have kids. And every once in a while, people would ask you, can you come bring us a message on, on families? And I would say, no. In fact, when I had little kids, they'd say, can you come and bring us a message on families? I'd still say, no. In fact, I determined as a young father that I would not preach on family and marriage until I had a number of years under my belt until my boys were grown. The tragedy was I saw young men stand up and they had little, little kids and preach with great wisdom how to raise kids. I thought to myself, your little ones are so young. Your wisdom and your advice is untested. Well, now I've been married for 25 years and I have my oldest is 22, almost 23, and my youngest is only 17. And I have a little bit of experience. I'll tell you without hesitation and to my shame, I've made more mistakes than I can remember. And by God's grace and God's care and by a godly mother, my boys have turned out as well as they have. And I'm very proud of my sons. If I could do it over, I would do a lot of things different. And so this message comes this morning comes from the heart of a man who has raised three boys. I will not say he has done well. I will say he learned a lot of lessons on the way. Sadly, he learned them often in hindsight in the review mirror. But listen, the truth of Scripture still stands. And we can, as fathers, love and raise our kids for the Lord. Some of you are thinking, my kids are long gone. It's too late for me. What do I do with that? Well, my plea with you is to learn and listen and maybe pass on some wisdom to your sons that they might raise their sons better. The reality is what happens in one generation often gets passed on to the next generation and the chain just keeps rolling along. In fact, we're going to see right out of the book of the Bible that exact thing happened. In the book of 1 Samuel, we we'll see a chain of fathers and sons and one failure with the next, with the next, with the next, all the way through the book. The reality is we can take the lesson principles and we can encourage our sons, if you have adult sons, to raise their family for the Lord, to make the changes, to raise them up. We can pray for our young men that are raising kids for the Lord. And for those of us with young families, we can get alongside them. We can encourage them. We can pray for them. We can help them. That we might see godly families growing up in our church. The principle, the truth that drives the point of this message, and I've, I discovered this a number of years ago, goes like this. The way our children learn to relate to us will greatly influence the way they relate and understand God. Fathers and husbands, how you deal with your kids, how you raise your kids, the way you respond to them will have a tremendous impact on how they relate and understand God. If our children see us as aloof and distant and cold, harsh, unforgiving, quick to discipline, slow to love, that is exactly how they will learn to see God. If our children see us as godly, loving, kind, firm, but gentle with them, that is how they will learn to relate to God. Husbands and fathers, I'm going to lay very big heavy on all of us, and I mean us. 
we have a tremendous responsibility. We have a tremendous privilege and a responsibility that goes with us to, to how we relate to our children, that they might relate correctly to God, that they might see God, in a sense, through us. That's our responsibility. Well, praise the Lord, we have, as the greatest example of godly fathering, our Heavenly Father Himself. Fathers, we can learn from Scripture how God relates to us, His children, so that they can, we can relate to our children. And the message in a nutshell for us today is simply this. Fathers, let's imitate God our Heavenly Father in a loving and raising our children well for Him. If you've got a little uh, in your bulletin there, she can... It's got some notes, outlines, a couple blank spots you can fill in as we go along and uh, keep track of where we are. I'm sure some of you have lunch appointments, so we'll try and keep this to the time limit we've got. First of all, I want us to see the greatest father of all. I want us all to look up together and see God as our great father. What is he like? What is God as father like? What does the Bible say about God our heavenly father? Well, first of all, in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6, our heavenly father created us for his glory and his enjoyment. The Bible says this, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. In other words, He created us for His glory and for His enjoyment. Listen, people God, we're all children of our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father created us for His enjoyment. He enjoys the fact that we are His children. He doesn't get irritated and annoyed when we make a mess. And we often make messes, don't we? He comes alongside in gentle care and compassion, which we'll see in a moment, and He deals with us, and He guides us, and He helps us. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 3, the next one, our Heavenly Father caused us to be born again to a new and a living hope. He made us alive. What Noel was talking about in communion, about Jesus standing outside the tomb and saying, Lazarus, come forth. He spoke those words, and Lazarus was brought to life. And he came forward. God, our Heavenly Father, has caused us to be born again. Just as surely as a human parents get together and they have a child that caused that child to be born, so God, our Heavenly Father, has caused us to be born again. And we have a new and living hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, our Father has adopted us into his family. The book of Romans in 8 verse 15 says this, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's, a, that's an expression of love. It's an expression of tenderness, of intimacy. Abba, Father. I would very much hesitate before I said, Daddy. It's not quite that uh, familiar. There is still a sense of love and respect and honor for our fathers. But there's an intimacy there. He has adopted us. And adoption in Scripture is something that can never be undone. He will never look at us one day and say, Go away. I don't want you anymore. If you're under the misinformation that you can lose your salvation, let me tell you, without any hesitation, you cannot lose your salvation. God adopts us eternally. We can never be lost and cut off from Him. So how does God relate to us as His children? Our Father loves us by giving us that which is for our best. It is not the mark of love of a parent for a child to give that child everything it wants. That's not love. That's actually neglect and carelessness. But our Father loves us and gives us what's best. In 1 John 3, 1, 
John said this, See how great love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. The height of God's love is to make us His sons and daughters, cause us to be His children. He has made us His own. In Isaiah 64 and verse 8, our Heavenly Father has and is shaping us like a potter with clay. And that idea has gentleness and careful pressure. You ever watch a potter working a lump of clay? He doesn't bang it and push it and shove it and smack it down. He might to get the clay worked. But once he begins to turn that pot, it spins and he gently coaxes it up and uses fingers and pressure and he guides and he builds that lump of clay into a beautifully shaped vase or cup or mug or whatever it is he's making. And it's gentle pressure, it's careful, carefulness that he works. And it's a beautiful picture of how God works with us. He is working in us to make us look like the Lord Jesus Christ, to shape us after Christ's image. But he doesn't do it with harshness. And bitterness, he does it with love and gentleness and care. Our Father is a loving, kind, and careful Father. Our Father has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 103 and verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to who fear him. The idea there is he knows how to weep alongside of his kids, his children. He can empathize. One of the greatest verses in the Bible goes like this. That God, no, Jesus, he was tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. And so he's able to, and the old King James uses the word sucker, S-U-C-C-O-U-R. And it's the idea of tenderly, carefully, gently healing, coming alongside of. I love the fact that I can go before my Savior and say, Lord, I'm dealing with this temptation. And never looks down at me and says, nah, I got no idea what that's like. He says, I know exactly what you're feeling. I know the struggle you're going through. And I'm absolutely convinced that my Heavenly Father comes alongside me at times and He slips His arm around my shoulders and says, I know what you're going through. I'm here. We're walking through this together. And when I weep, He weeps with me. He shows compassion. There's something so tragic about a father who cannot show compassion for his child. But our Father shows compassion for those who fear Him. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, Our Father comforts His sons and daughters. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He comes alongside of us when we're struggling and weary and downhearted and discouraged. And He brings us comfort. Listen, child of God. I don't know all your hearts. I don't know what's going on in some of your lives. But I know some of you are struggling. I know some of you are discouraged, downhearted. I want you to know God, your Heavenly Father, is there to give you comfort. Reach out to Him. Look up to Him and put your, your heart in His hands and ask of Him for the comfort that He will give and He will bring it alongside of you. I was in a, a church service one time and there was an older brother there and he was a preacher. And he was telling a story and he said he was in a place and he just felt so discouraged, so downhearted and he was trying to serve the Lord and all these things were going wrong. As he sat in the service, he said, Lord, I just want a hug. I just want a hug from you, Father. And he sat there and he was weeping quietly. And across the other side of the room, a little girl saw him, this older man, 
austere older man with his suit and tie and his big King James Bible. She got down off her mommy's lap and she walked across the church and she reached up and she put her little arms around his shoulders and she just hugged him with little hands like this and wept. He said, God knew in that moment how to reach out and meet my need and comforted this man in his struggle through the arms of a little child. Our Father cares for us. The Bible tells us in Psalm 68, verse 5, He is the Father of the fathers and protector of widows, is God in His holy habitation. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 25 and 26, how our Father cares for the tiny sparrow, and so He cares for us. Our Father cares. You may have grown up with a father who doesn't know and didn't care and wasn't interested, but I want you to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that God, your Heavenly Father, cares about the struggles that you carry. Go to Him. Take those cares and those struggles and lay them out before Him. Allow His Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. I think sometimes we carry so much because we're so selfish that we want all our struggles and fears and cares and we hang on to them with a grip of death. And what God is saying is, let go. Let me carry them for you. Unburden your heart. Leave it on my plate. I can deal with it. I can handle it. I look after the tiny sparrow. I care more about you than the sparrow. I'll look after you. Our Father cares for us. In Luke 11, verse 13, our Father in heaven hears and answers our prayers. In Matthew 7, 11, verse, parallel verses, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Our Father in heaven hears our prayers. He listens. What a tragedy is when some of us as fathers are too busy to listen to what our kids are saying. I'll tell you, just as a moment of real transparency, it was hard to prepare this because as I prepared some of these points, I realized where I'd failed my boys. And how easy it got to be too busy to listen and hear what they were saying. But you know what? Our Father hears and answers our prayers. He's never too busy. He's never unavailable. He's never out busy doing something else. He's not so busy saving the whole world that he can't stop and hear the prayers of one of his children. He loves to hear it when his people pray. Fathers, husbands, wives, children in this room, our God loves to hear you when you pray. Reach out and pray. He's never too busy. He's never too tired. He's never got something better to do. Beyond that, our Father corrects and disciplines us. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 5, the Bible says, Know then in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Our Heavenly Father disciplines, and Proverbs 11, 3, 11 and 12 tells us that that discipline is a display of His love. He loves us so much, He doesn't want to see us go the wrong way. He loves us so much, He doesn't want to see us step into habits and character patterns that are going to wind up all kinds of pain and struggle later in life. And so He disciplines us to keep us walking close to Him. Jumping ahead a little bit, what's discipline like? I often think about how do you describe discipline to a small child? What's the purpose of it? I was watching a show and there was a cattle ranch on a show. And I watched these cattle and I thought, isn't that interesting? 
that all the cattle, where there's a barbed wire fence, the cattle will stay inside that fence. In fact, they'll usually stay at just a safe distance away from those barbs. You say, what's the point? The point is this, that the rules and the commands and the guidelines that God puts in our, in our way are to keep us inside a safe posture, to keep us away from steep cliffs and gullies and ravines and problem areas, to keep the wolves out and the sheep safe inside. And so as long as we stay away and stay inside those rules and don't rub up against the rule, we never feel the sharp prick of God's disciplining hand. But you watch when the cow pushes against that barbed wire fence and it cuts into the hide. They feel that pain. You say, what a cruel farmer to put barbed wire on his fences. What a kind father, farmer and father that puts barbed wire around the enclosure to keep the cows in and safe and protected and keep the wolves out. That's what discipline is like. And our father loves us so much. He doesn't want us to see establish a habits and character patterns that will lead to problems later in life. He corrects us and he disciplines us. And our Father, in Deuteronomy 40, in Jeremiah 3.19, Ephesians 1.11, he has given us an inheritance. Our Father is concerned about our future. And he knows what our future is going to be, our eternal future in his presence. And so he gives an inheritance that's beyond anything this world can even imagine. And we will spend eternity face-to-face with the living God. I was studying in preparation for tonight the incomprehensibility of God. The fact that no matter how much we know of God, we will never fully know God in all there is. And all of eternity will be spent around the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every single moment of eternity, if you can think of it that way, we will learn something new about our Heavenly Father. We will learn something new about Lord Jesus Christ that we didn't know before. And it will go on for all of eternity because no matter how much we know about God, we'll never know it all. And the inheritance that God has given us is the joy and the blessing of being in His presence to view Him and discover and enjoy more and more of the glories of the riches of His to us in Christ. That's our Heavenly Father. It's the greatest Father that ever is. I can't say was because that wouldn't make sense. He is eternal. He is our Heavenly Father and that's what He's like. You may be thinking to yourself, I sure wish I had a father like that. Well, let me give you one more verse about a father. It says this in John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but were born of God. He gave us the right. He gave us the power, if you like, is the only way to think of it, to become children of God to those of us who receive Christ. What does that mean? It doesn't mean to take the gospel facts and tuck them into our Bible and say, yes, I agree with all those facts that Jesus died on the cross for me, therefore I'm saved. No, actually you're not. What it means to receive Him is to mean to receive Him in the manner and the type and the form of person that He is. To receive Christ, the fact that He is King, so we receive Him as a King. He is a Creator of all things, so we receive Him in honor and respect and worship as the Creator of all things. He's the Savior, so we receive Him in a manner fitting with one who saved us. We receive Him in love and affection and worship because He died on a cross to save us. We receive Him, a priest who lives forever to intercede for us. What a great thrill. Hey, brothers and sisters, this very moment, 
Jesus sits on the throne of his Father, and he is never ending in his prayers for us, interceding for us, raising up our needs. When we are so brokenhearted, we go before the Lord, and just in the, 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 the depths of our soul, we don't even know how to speak. I think you've had those moments. I know I've had them in my life. When I go before God, and all I can say is, Oh God, oh God, what is going on? And the Father takes those heartfelt moments and interprets them to the Father and says, He needs this. He needs that. He needs more of us. He needs more of the Spirit. He needs more understanding of Scripture. And He begins to intercede for us. And God begins to come alongside and help us. He's given us the right to become His children to those who receive Him and believe in His name. To those who trust Him fully. What does it mean to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? It means to take everything He said and trust Him to keep His promises. It means to trust Him that when He said He will come again, He's coming again. It means we trust Him that when He said, He who is faithful, He began a good work in you, He will complete it. We trust Him that He's going to complete this work in us. I'll tell you again a moment of transparency. As a pastor, one of the greatest struggles I have is I spend so much time in my Bible, I spend so much time studying and preparing, and there are so many times I come up and I go, Lord, I'm so far short of this. And I'm constantly confronted by the fact that I'm still not growing as much and as fast as I want to. And as I go back to that verse in Philippians 1, 6, I say, Lord, you promised. You promised me, Father, that you finished this work. You began it so many years ago. And I look back and I can see a little bit of growth over the last year. It's a little tiny bit of growth. But you promised. So, Father, I'm holding you to your promise. When Jesus, sorry, John wrote and said, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave a right to become children of God. They were not born of blood, not born of the will of the flesh, but the will of man and the will of God. You want a father like that, Father? I don't know about you, but I know I do. And I enjoy the fact that he is a father. My dad's a great guy. But I have a heavenly father that's so much better than my dad, and my dad would agree with that. I have a father who hears and answers prayer, who corrects and disciplines me, who has given me an inheritance beyond all I can imagine. A father who has caused me to be born again. A father who adopted me into his family. What a loving Father, a wonderful Father we have. I'm well aware that I haven't even touched the text of the, ver- of the message this morning. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave it. We'll pick it up next week. That's the Father that we have in God. Fathers, there is so much for us to learn about loving our kids. And we will talk about not provoking your children to anger next week. And we'll talk about what it means to raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. But for just for today, rather than going to that, I want us just to spend that time. As you walk away, take this little verse sheet with you. Take those verses, go home, look them all up, fill in again if you haven't filled them in already. What those these things about the Father, that you might know the Father. Plead with Him. Listen. Plead with the Father in heaven that you are truly His son or His daughter. That you truly know Him. Relate to Him in prayer. And for those of us who are fathers with kids, whether they're teenagers or little ones or however old they are, plead with God that you, He will help you and walk with you to be a father 
to those children that when they see you and when they relate to you, they will learn how God relate to them. The next time, fathers, that you go to speak quickly to your son or your daughter, think about how God would respond to them. Don't get me wrong. There are times when God speaks quickly and firmly to us. There are times when God comes alongside of us and speaks in the depths of our soul in a very powerful poke. And there are times in parenting when that's necessary and required. And we'll talk a bit more about it next week. But there are also times when we go to speak. And you know what? Back in my heart, I can feel the Lord saying, slow down. Just a moment. Take a Take a breath before you speak words that will cause deep wounds that will take years to heal. We have a loving Father. May God help us as fathers, as husbands, to love Him. I want to say something else before we go. I started off talking about those prisoners in a jail. That when it came time to write Father's Day cards, they couldn't do it. My wife went to a conference a number of years ago, and there was a lady there uh, speaking, and she said that um, one of the greatest tragedies, the greatest problems today is that we are raising young men to be very feminine, and we are raising young women to be very masculine. And she said one of the greatest needs of this day is for women to raise their daughters to be godly women. And equally important for today, there is a tremendous need for fathers to raise their sons to be godly men. Men of God. Men who will stand up on their convictions. Men who will go back to the scripture. Men who will fight for their families and their children, not just on their feet, but on their knees. Men who will come alongside and walk with their sons and teach them how to be men. Why is a society so flipped on its head? Why do we see bizarre things in the media? Why do we see, I, I'm sorry, I was walking through the mall yesterday, you don't have malls here, uh, shopping center with Head yesterday, and, I, and she was in a store and I was just standing there watching and kind of waiting, and I love to watch people as they go by. And as this young fella come walking down the road, and my heart broke. I've been reading and studying and thinking about this all through the days prior. And this young man was walking along and he had sort of like girl shoes and and very feminine outfit and a very feminine way to walk. And I thought, you say, you're just criticizing fashion. No, actually, I'm not. There was a femininity in the way that young man was walking. You say you're judging him, possibly. But rather than judging him specifically, let's just look at it as a symptom of a far bigger problem. There is a tremendous need, men, for us to raise men to be men. Men to look after and love and cherish their wives. Men who are willing to die for their wives the way Christ died for the church. There is a tremendous need for men to lead their families in the Scripture, lead their families in prayer, lead their families on their knees. And I say that not because I'm pointing down at you, I'm pointing down at all of us. There is a call, there is a desperate need to raise godly men. 
that when one day when we are too old to carry on the work of the church, we can turn around and we can hand the baton on to a new generation of young men who are qualified according to 1 Timothy and Titus 1 to be elders, who are qualified to be deacons, who are raised up and trained to be pastors and elders in a church, who are loving their wives and leading them and praying with them and, and just nurturing them. That's our responsibility. You say, the society around us to teach us something totally different than that. Here's a news flash for you. Christianity is massively countercultural. What God teaches and teaches us in His Word about how we are to live as men and women in this society will always go against the society teaching. We are not of the world. We're of the Word of God. And we are to be men and women who are men and women of the Word of God. That we might raise our families and love our wives according to what God teaches us, not what the society and the world around teaches us. Men. Take a long, hard look at your Heavenly Father. See how He relates to you. Get a Bible search program and put in the Father in Heaven and go through and look at all the verses you can find. If you can't find it or have it, come and talk to me. I'll get you a program or I'll get you a printout and go through and spend those hours looking at all those verses. See how your Heavenly Father relates to you that you might relate to your kids the same way. They might grow up and know who God really is and walk with Him as their Heavenly Father. That's our responsibility. That's our role. That's our job as fathers. That's what God has given us as fathers to do. There is a verse. Let me just see if I find it quickly. Yep. Genesis 18, verse 19. This is what God says about Abraham. He says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. What's God saying? I chose Abraham. I have given him a family after a long way. I gave him sons that he might command them. They might lead his household. How is he going to do it? By doing righteousness and justice. By being a godly man. In Deuteronomy 6, another verse we're going to look at next week, even though I'm jumping at it right now. It says this. As soon as I find it, here it is. These words I command you today, you shall be on your heart. Listen, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you walk by the way. When you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand and shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What was the first command he gave? It wasn't to teach them diligently. It was this. The words I command you today shall be on your heart. Fathers, you want to raise your kids for God? You won't do it by opening a devotional book. Not only. You can use devotional books. Don't get me wrong. Use devotional books. But it won't be only that. When manna fell every morning outside the camp of Israel, who was to get up and go out early in the morning and pick up the manna and bring it back for the family? It was the father who was to get up and go out and pick up the bread from God, gather it up and bring it back to feed his family. What's the responsibility, men, for us if we're going to raise our families for God? These words are to be on your heart. You want to raise your kids for God? I know I do. 
I'm so thrilled that my boys are walking with the Lord as they are. And I greatly long for them to walk more with the Lord. It starts, fathers, with the word of God on your own heart. And then you teach them diligently, and then you talk about them. You bind them as a sign of your hand on your arm. What's that mean? It means everywhere you go, everything you do, everything that's in front of you always is related to the word of God. So when you respond to something, you don't respond the way society responds to those issues and events that come up. You respond through the scriptures. I have so much more I want to say, but I'm going to leave it there. We have a loving Heavenly Father. He has loved us. He has saved us. I said to you a few weeks ago, we're talking about husbands and wives, that the grace gift, the grace measure of grace poured out on every father and husband in this room is the wife that God gave him. And the family that God gave you and the responsibility that we have as men to portray God to our, hus- our wives and our children. Look and see how your heavenly father has dealt with you and relate to your kids in the same way. If you need help, And trust me, we all need help with this. If you want help, come and talk to me. Come and talk less. We'll sit down with you. No, we don't have all the answers lined up, but we know where to find them. And maybe together we can work through the Scriptures together to find those answers to help you that you might be God's fathers in your home. I find it very interesting that Paul directs his command not to parents, but to fathers. And it's very precise. This is our responsibility. And the tragedy is, men, that too often our wives have had to pick up the slack because we have in irresponsibility let it fall. God bless wives. Praise God for godly wives who have raised their kids and filled in the blanks where dad is left off. But guys, this is our responsibility. We need to pick it up and run. This Father's Day, as you go up for lunch and enjoy the Father's Day gifts that you got and spend time with your kids, give long, hard thought to how God would have you love them and raise them for His glory. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray and then we'll sing the benediction together. Loving Father, again, we come for you and thank you, O God, that we have the privilege to step into the presence of almighty, absolutely holy God and look up and we can say, Father. Father, we thank you that you have begotten us again to a new and a living hope. Father, we thank you for the way that you have set us, as it were, clay on a wheel, and with gentle pressure and slow, careful movements, you are shaping us and raising us to make us look more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, we cry out to you this morning that you would finish that work. And Father, I'm well aware that in the analogy of that clay pot that's formed, it must go through fire to be hardened in order to be a fit vessel. 
Father, you are taking some of the fathers and some of the men through this church, in this church, through the fire at this very moment. And they are going through great pressure and great difficulty. Father, I cry out for them, for all of us, O oh God, to enable us to endure the fire, knowing that it is under your control and in your hand to make us fit vessels for your use. Father, also, just thinking about those scriptures we read and the tremendous responsibility that scripture lays upon fathers to raise their children for you. For the word of God to be on our own hearts that we might teach and talk and instruct and explain it, explain it to our kids. Father, responsibility that lies before us to get up early in the morning and go out and gather the manna for the day, the bread from heaven that we might feed our families. Father, forgive us. So many of us, O oh God, have abandoned our responsibilities as fathers in the home. And Father, we look in the, the society that surrounds us and we see a generation of men growing up that are not men. Father, how much it must break heart to see that. Father, we plead with you that you would do a great work in us. Father, drive us back to our knees. Drive us back into the word of God with it open before us. Father, we plead with you that you would do a work in the families in this church. Father, we thank you for those visiting families with us. Father, we pray that you would bless them and encourage them. Be with them, O oh God. Father, we pray for this church as a family that you would bring revival into this thing. That the hearts and minds and souls of all of us would be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, armed with the Scriptures, living in joy, the joy of the Lord, taking the gospel everywhere we go. Father, we plead again. We've asked and we've asked and we've asked, and Father, we're not going to stop asking until you answer that prayer that the floodgates of heaven would open and we would see real biblical revival. Father, we pray too for those churches around us this morning that are preaching the gospel. Father, for Rod over at Village Church preaching. Father, for others, for Brian over at GCBC. Father, we ask you that you would give them strength, give them blessing as they would preach the gospel this day. Father, we cry out to you for your help in all these things. We plead with you, O God, for blessing. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.